Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast with Dave Rockwell and Michelle Cavanaugh. To continue our secondary sanitation series, we bring back Master Water Specialist Greg Renicky to discuss UV. We spoke about ozone already with Greg, but this episode will focus on how to use UV effectively. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast. This is Michelle Cavanaugh with co-host. Dave Rockwell's here. Hey, Dave. Good morning. Nice to see your face. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Yes, I'm excited today and Dave's very excited as well. We have a returning guest, Greg Renicky. He has this wonderful website called, uh, called gregknowswater.com. And there's something on there, I think it's a quote from you, Greg, that I want to reference. It basically says, you deserve to work, play, drink, and bathe in the very best water possible. And I love that quote on your website. If you have not been to gregknowswater.com, it's a great place to be. He's been helping families um, basically make better water since I think the mid nineties. So Greg, welcome back. Thank you, Michelle. Dave, it's great to be with you again today. And wow, what a great time to be in the pool business and in the water business in general. It's an interesting year. I'm just so excited to see what next year brings us. Yeah. And they need us more than ever. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> yes. I just have to tell you, I re- you ought to you ought to copyright that that uh, sl- that uh, slogan and put it on a T-shirt. I'd buy one in a- <laughs> Yes, I'd buy one too. Well, I believe it. I mean, you, you look at there's a lot of ways you can feed your family and your bad habits and your good habits. And being in the water business, which includes recreational water, what a great way to serve the community and still make money and do it honorably and feel good about what you do. I mean, that's why I wake up every day. I love challenges with bad water. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just exciting. Yes. And there's enough challenges out there for us, that's oh for sure. Oh boy. <laughs> that's for sure. So <clears throat> we really enjoyed our conversation with you about ozone, uh, very enlightening stuff. And um, it, it got us to thinking that um, we wanted to cover some of the other uh, tools in the in the bag, if you will, uh, for not necessarily uh, alternatives to chlorine or reducing chlorine usage, but really these tools should be thought about as ways to improve the overall water quality. Uh, none of these should be looked at as a standalone sanitizer, but I think there's there's enough evidence out there and. and bad water and swimming pools that should maybe make us question, is chlorine a standalone sanitizer? Should we be looking at ways of giving it a little shot in the arm, a little help? That's a really good question. And I I think for for a lot of years, because we lack the ability to test for more advanced things, a lot of the times all we thought about was just killing the bugs and making sure nobody gets sick. And that's okay, that's a good starting point. And keeping you know, the algae out of the corners. Yeah, keep the algae out, keep the green down. And we want to make sure that recreational water users have a healthy experience. But, you know, we, we look at things like Legionella now coming up. You know, I think in 2018, there were 9,000 some odd cases, official diagnosed CDC registered cases of Legionella in the U.S. alone. And that number continues to grow. And Legionella has a 10% mortality rate. That's worse than COVID. But nobody really gets excited about that. And unfortunately, 
Legionella is really hard to kill with chlorine. Chlorine doesn't do a good job killing Legionella. So kind of that, that one-two punch that you're alluding to, I think makes a lot of sense. And whether you use ozone, UV, AOP, additional physical filtration, there's more that you can do than just straight chlorine feed. And I think a smart pool operator is, is gonna be trending that way. The industry's trending that way for the future, you know, cause the goal is not to overchlorinate, not to underchlorinate, to kind of just have that Goldilocks effect and get it just right. And there's a lot of times there's things in the water that interfere with chlorine's ability to do a good job. And there's things in the water that chlorine doesn't do a good job on anyway. And so if we can, we can think of all of these as tools in our toolbox, you know, last time we were together, we talked about ozone. And I think you and I both were very clear that this is not the alternative to chlorine. It's an addition to chlorine because you need residual. And when it comes to residual, chlorine is the gold standard. I mean, no matter what anybody tries to tell you, it's really hard to beat good old chlorine when it comes to residual ORP, residual disinfecting power, residual killing power, residual algae control. Chlorine's the champ. I mean, it is a cheap, efficient killer. That's why we use it. But it's just one of the tools. And so we should never be a one-trick pony. And it's not just the, the chlorine chemistry and our ability to test things. We, we have limitations. It's like we walk up uh, to a pool that's cloudy and the chlorine has been used up and we don't know for how long. There's no way to test for what's built up in that water, how much of it. It's all just kind of guesswork and experience uh, as far as how much chlorine to dose to clear that up before we can even begin to rebuild a residual. Yeah, and then you get to the whole outdoor pool situation with cyanuric acid and you're seeing all the data now that's starting to validate what a lot of us were suspecting 10, 15, 20 years ago that high levels of CYA actually inhibit chlorine's ability to do its job. Right. So the poor, poor pool person that's continuously dosing stabilized chlorine and trichlor into this pool or a water feature, and they realize after a while, the more chlorine they add, the worse it gets. <laughs> you know? And so there's a lot of moving parts to what we work with. Yes. So uh, getting back to, to our, our discussion today, one of the tools that uh, more and more guys are starting to use, I think, because one of the things is a price point is, is uh, the easiest one to accept. Uh, UV is becoming very popular addition to swimming pools. But I mean, I'm looking through sizing charts and catalogs and, and uh, been reading up a little bit on UV and I'm nowhere near up to speed on UV like, like I am on ozone. I've been using ozone for 20 years. UV is kind of a new thing to me. Um, but I, I'd like to maybe just start to help you help me to demystify some of these things. Sure. Uh, you see terminologies. Um, there's, first of all, let's start with UVB, UVC, UVA. Um, explain those and, and tell us how we can know which uh, of these that, that our uh, units are putting out. So probably a good place to start is to talk about what UV is. So UV, of course, is an abbreviation for ultraviolet. Ultraviolet is a particular length, a particular wavelength of light energy. And the easiest way to think about how ultraviolet technology works is to think about our skin. If we're in the sun for too long, 
uh, it hurts. And if we're in the sun for even longer, we can cause damage. And if we think about what we know about what ultraviolet radiation does to our bodies, it burns the skin and it has the potential to cause cancer in sensitive individuals. And that mechanism by which that works is the same way that UV controls bacteria. And so when we talk about UVA versus UVB versus UVC, those letters indicate different wavelengths. And so A is gonna be in the 315 to 400 nanometer wavelength. B is gonna be the 280 to 315 and C is gonna be the 100 to just a hair around 280. And they're kind of cross over in, as, as those bands converge. And, and why those have been given designations A, B, C is, is somewhat arbitrary, but it's helpful because those wavelengths work differently on the things that they see. So for example, in uh, ozone production, you can use UVC at 185 nanometer to generate ozone molecules in air. So a lot of air purification systems will have a UV radiator that generates UVC wavelength and that enables the development of ozone molecules. UVB is what we traditionally use for disinfection of drinking water. So kind of the sweet spot where the wavelength of ultraviolet light works the very best against bacteria is about 284 to 285 nanometers. That's where we blast bugs. And then UVA is not really used much in water treatment. So we focus primarily on B and C. And B is the most common type of ultraviolet radiator that you'll find out there. So I use the word radiator and we got to be careful, you know, radiation, people think that means, you know, Chernobyl and things like that. We, we got to think of a, a UV radiator essentially as a really fancy lamp. Now it's not a light. We never want to call, we, we never want to call it a light bulb. <laughs> it's a lamp. <laughs> so we don't have UV bulbs, we have UV lamps. And it emits this invisible wavelength of light. And that then interacts with things that it touches. So if we think about how an ultraviolet um, radiator is constructed, you have a lamp and that lamp can be powered different ways and we can get into high pressure, low pressure, things like that. That lamp is then surrounded by a sleeve and that sleeve is quartz. So if we think about quartz like on a watch, uh, that sleeve is made out of an industrially grown quartz. And the reason that quartz is used is because it passes certain wavelengths of light. So that gives you a little more flexibility with how the lamp is fabricated. So that you're only getting through the exact wavelength you want. So think of it like polarizing sunglasses. The polarizing sunglasses only let a certain direction of light wave go through these sleeves can be tuned or fabricated in such a way that they only allow a certain very narrow band of light wavelength through, which makes them more effective at their job. So just like the sun, what do we do when the sun's baking on us too hot? We get into the shade. We get out of the sunlight. And there's ultraviolet's first weakness. Ultraviolet can only affect what it can see. 
So if you've got this ultraviolet lamp inside a pipe and you have a, a bunch of flock in the water, you have flock from, you know, you just did a flock treatment and the filter is not filtering very well and the water is a little hazy, that's going to interfere with the ultraviolet light, its ability to get to all the bugs. So you can imagine a piece of flock and a little teeny tiny bacteria or a little teeny tiny algae spore. The flock is going to shade and create a protective zone. So there's the first weakness with ultraviolet. So the way we work around that is we like to use reflectors inside the ultraviolet generator. So typically, for example, with more mission critical ultraviolet drinking water, wastewater, they're typically fabricated using a highly polished stainless steel. And uh, it's a parabolic effect where that light then is able to bounce around and be concentrated. So shadowing is a, is a concern with ultraviolet. The second concern is good old calcium hardness. So if you want to open a can of worms, start a discussion about whether you should have hardness in a pool or not. And you'll have 20 pool operators and water people and 47 different opinions. And somebody's going to get hurt at some point because there's a lot of misunderstandings and misperceptions. The thing that we do need to understand is the more calcium you have in the water, the more likely you are to scale as your pH gets higher. So, you know, we're, with chlorination, we're trying to get that sweet spot where we have the pH at just the right spot so that the chlorine is active, but not too active. We don't want it to be too volatile and off gas. And in that sweet spot, we're approaching the scaling point. And scale happens with heat. So now we think of ultraviolet, we've got this lamp that's inside. We're already heating the pool anyway, and now this lamp is adding more heat and so scale wants to accumulate around the sleeve of that lamp. Uh -huh. So there's the second big thing that people often overlook. So the first is shadowing. The second is scaling. What that means is from the day you put that ultraviolet radiator into service, scale is beginning to accumulate on that sleeve. And so it's very important as part of your preventative maintenance schedule to be cleaning and or replacing those sleeves on a regular basis. And so that first year of maintenance on that recreational water body is a good time to get a handle on how dirty those sleeves are getting. And so typically on a pool with hard water in it, once a quarter is not unusual for descaling sleeves. It sounds to me like it would be a good idea to use a fireman switch circuit or a, or a pump delay in an automation system just like we use with heaters yep. to uh, shut the UV off five minutes early and let the let the water cool it down. It's a very good very good thing to do and and incidentally the hotter the UV lamp gets the less effective it is so you're kind of fighting on your heels you're already trying to overcome some negatives when you're utilizing UV in a heated water situation. UV really works best with purified cold water. Now, some of the newer technologies like uh, LED-based UV run cooler, but they still, they still run into some of the same issues when it comes to temperature. So a big takeaway on UV is it is highly effective, but you have to deploy the right amount of power. And it has to be the right amount of power per uh, area. We, we use the term millijoules per square centimeter. So that's just basically how much radiation we're putting into a small space, how much energy we're putting into it. 
and, and that's worth talking about because that's kind of like BTUs when we talk about a heater. You know, if you're going to heat that 100,000 gallon pool, you don't want to have a little undercounter insta hot water heater. You know, it's capable of reaching 160 degrees. The problem is it does it at 0.3 gallons per minute. That's not going to cut it with a 100 GPM circulator. And so UV is kind of the same thing. And this is where I see a lot of misapplication of UV or somebody purchases UV because the salesperson was excited and got them all pumped up about UV. And then they buy something that's not necessarily sized for their application. So a common thing we see is you get on the website for pool vendor ABC and you, they tell you if your pool is this big, buy this UV. I have a visceral negative response to that because that's really not enough information to help. So when you're looking at purchasing UV for killing bugs, you've got to make sure that you're getting enough bug killing power. And so that's where you need to ask a manufacturer if they have actual validated specifications. Did this thing get certified to NSF 50? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of pool treatment products, secondary products like UV that are sold out there that haven't been NSF validated. And so there's no real third party that's, that's come in and said, I don't have a financial interest in the results of the test. They pay me to test. What does this thing actually do? You know, so a lot of times the salespeople will say, this is a 100 watt UV or a 200 watt UV or a 500 watt UV. That, that really means nothing. The amount of watts that goes into the ultraviolet radiator lamp has no net effect on the energy coming out. You know, that's, the energy that's like coming saying, out is the, the energy coming out is the millijoules. That's correct, yeah. So that's like saying you've got a 500 horsepower engine, that means you're gonna win a race. Well, not necessarily because it's all about how we tune the transmission, right? And so it's the same thing with ultraviolet. So don't use watts as a measure of killing power. All watts is, is a measure of how much power the thing consumes. Yeah. So it sounds to me too, like flow rate is very important to know and size the, the uh, unit according to flow rate. Very much so. And so what you'll do with a good UV manufacturer is on their spec sheets, they'll tell you what the thing is rated at, at a particular flow rate. So let's say it's a 200 millijoule per centimeter. It's rated at that transmittance rate, that rate of energy transfer at 10 gallons a minute. And it's, it's kind of scary because you'll see some of these, you know, a common UV that we use for, for other applications is about three feet long. And they're rated at 20 to 25 gallons per minute. So you think about a four inch wide, three foot long tube and you go, okay, that gets me 20 GPM on ultra clear municipal water. Now we've got to derate it because that pool water is not ultra clear and there's hardness in it. And now we go, okay, we're recirculating at hundred gallons a minute. One, two, three, four, five. We need five of these things. And a lot of times the, the salesperson will go, here you go, here's one. That's all you need. It's a UV. You're covered. Check the box. You put UV on it. And that's where pool operators can get themselves in trouble. That's, that's where they'll apply a technology 
in good faith because they're trying. The problem is whoever was guiding them is not guiding them appropriately and not giving them the full story on how to treat it. It may also like be the reason too, Greg, why they don't choose a secondary sanitation system because correct. they don't understand it and it makes, correct. they're not gonna do something they don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's one where it's, it's really wise to seek as much outside education from the various uh, industry associations and then good vendors are not afraid to give out spec. You know, there's a lot of really good vendors that, that fabricate UV. Uh, interestingly enough, most of the fantastic UV vendors are all in Canada and they fabricate in Canada and they ship into the US and they're great and they're fastidious about publishing actual spec sheets. Right. So rule number one, if your vendor cannot give you a spec sheet that includes energy in, energy out, and some of that simple basic information, don't even consider it as an option. And then even if they've got a spec sheet, get into a conversation and say, this is not for domestic potable water. Because a lot of times people selling UV are accustomed to selling it for uh, residential commercial drinking water applications. That water is much clearer than a pool and it has less complicating factors than a pool. So one of the issues with UV in a pool, of course, is that heat. And so you've got to look at the operating temperature and ask the vendor, okay, you're giving me 200 millijoules per square centimeter at 10 gallons a minute. What's that going to go to when the water is 90 degrees? What's that going to go to when the water is 105 degrees? Because that base rating is at typically at 50 degrees. That's it at a cooler water and you rarely if ever see 50 degrees in a recreational pool. Right. I mean, I don't like swimming in 50 degree water. It's no. Like, you have a good time. It's just the ice baths for the athletes, right? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do the so, Tony Robbins plunge or something. <laughs> the, uh, the, the targets I'm seeing and some of the specs I'm looking at are like 40 to 60 millijoules per centimeter. And, and they're, the, I have one here that's, uh, it, it gives you flow rates, it gives you that information, but it also says there's a, there's a term, another term here, that you need to know your UVT. Yes, that's very important. So UVT is your ultraviolet transmissance rate. There's your weird fancy word for the day, transmissance. Transmissance, so remember, okay. Remember we were talking about how uh, the ultraviolet light can be shaded or blocked by things that are blocking the light. So UVT is a measure of how clear that water is. And so that's a really important thing. And most pool operators don't have the ability to measure UVT. Now it's, it's not difficult to do. You just need to purchase a tool and then maintain the tool appropriately. So UVT tester, I think all of the major online retailers sell them. And all it does is it shines light through a length of water and the light hits a receiver and it determines whatever light energy output it started at compared to what it receives and then it calculates a UVT number. And that UVT number is really important. So if you're going to deploy UV, you need to get a, get a UVT tester. It's kind of like trying to be in the pool algae control business without having 
phosphate, nitrate, pH, alkalinity tests. I mean, you'd never try to control a pool without those test kits, right? Right. And it's kind of the same with UV. If you're going to use UV on an open body of water, and again, this is where there's some big divergences between industries with the potable drinking water market, the UVT, the water's really clear. But with recreational water, whether it's uh, landscape, waterfall, pond, pool, spa, that water's not as clear because we put things in that water. We put human bodies. You know, we have all these things that go in that water, oils, fluids, and then especially if it's uh, the natural pool, you know, there's, there's a trend starting in Europe now to have these uh, swim pools. We're seeing that trend coming to the states. They don't want to use chlorine. Bio bioactive pools. Yeah, bioactive pools. Yeah, and, and they have their place. And if you do it right, it's quite a marvelous experience. But right. there's a fine line between doing it right and getting somebody sick. And so UVT is really important. So whatever spec they have for their uh, energy transfer at UVT, you've got to make sure your water is as clear or clearer than what they're specifying. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. It's like trying to light a room and dropping a blanket over the light. Is there, um, is there a difference between a standard like a turbidity tester and a UVT tester? Is it? Yeah, yeah. So if you're accustomed to using the, the disc for turbidity, you know, dropping it down and measuring how many inches you've got, UVT is a similar concept. It's just more advanced. And so you, you do want to get the electronic tool because it's measuring a very short distance. If you think of the average UV uh, uh, radiator that you're purchasing for pool and spa, you're typically got a, a, a transfer of somewhere between one and six inches. And the further the light has to go, the clearer the water needs to be for it to be effective. So yeah, purchase the tool. They're, they're really not that expensive. And if you're gonna do UV, you need to do it right. And purchasing that tool is, is a simple, basic thing. And, and if you don't have that tool, don't be surprised if your UV installations don't work very well. As a side benefit, that UVT tool will help you produce clearer pool water because it's going to help you see something you might not normally see with the naked eye, which is the beginnings of that murkiness. And when you do a good job, especially if you're filtering properly and you, you can get that water to where it sparkles. You know, we talked previously about how when you use ozone, you have that microcoagulation effect and ozone yes. creates a radiantly clear water. I mean, it's yes. phenomenal seeing the difference between chlorine only and chlorine plus ozone. And when you do chlorine plus UV, you can have similar effects, similar results, but using your UV tester, your UVT tester is going to force you to clarify your water better to make the UV work. A new voice in the industry, a resource for all, education for you. This is Pool Pro Podcast. Build relationships and share important news as we get ready for our next backyard adventure. Pool Pro Podcast. Backyard adventures are better together. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.